to the right person. Your obedience to the Lord will always lead you to the right person. Sometimes God will tell you to do something, and I said God, not a figment of your imagination. God will tell you to do something, and to the natural man and to yourself, it will not make sense. It will make you uncomfortable. It will be out of your, what you're familiar with, but because of a heart of obedience, it will lead you to the right person. And in the case of Philip, it led him to the finance minister of the Ethiopian kingdom. A very powerful man. In fact, the scripture describes him as a man of great authority. In verse 27. Third point. The Lord will lead you when, when talking about soul winning. When the Lord is leading you, he will lead you to someone he has been preparing for you. He will lead you to someone he has been preparing for you. Beloved, there are many times in your life that God brings people your way that he's prepared for you to minister to them. But sadly, many times we miss the opportunity and let it pass us by. As a church, as we enter a new phase and season in our history, we are going to be a church that will learn to be very sensitive to the people God leads us to. I remember many years ago, I had a dream, and in my dream, I was speaking to a certain man, and in my dream, the man did not seem a very important man. And so I wasn't in the mood to talk to him. And so in my dream, I kind of just spoke to him at a glance and then walked off. And then later on, I discovered that this man was a man of great reputation and authority, and that I treated him well, it would have opened the door of opportunity for me. And the message for me was this. Joseph, learn to treat everybody who comes your way as if they're the most important person on the earth because you never know who I'll send your way. So when we're talking about God using us in soul winning and being disciples that win souls, one of the things is this, that he will lead you and I to people he has been preparing for us. This man was reading Isaiah the prophet. He was reading it because God was preparing him. Fourth point, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is vital if we are going to be involved in soul winning. Soul winning is not about exchanging information with somebody else. Soul winning is not about you trying to bring people to church. Soul winning is about you and I, by how we are living our lives, being able to bring people to a place of an encounter with God. They have an encounter with the living God, the true God. And no matter how clever your arguments are, without an encounter with the Holy Spirit, people will die and go to hell. God must meet people by the Holy Spirit in order for them to come to a place of salvation. Beloved, it's not about getting people to your club, your church club. It's about getting people to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fifth point, effective soul within. So, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, four point there. So, the Spirit said to Philip, go near to that chariot. Go near to that chariot. Why did the Spirit say that to him? Because probably the way the chariot looked, it looked very intimidating. And Philip Meyer thought, well, this is a, a great entourage. And, you know, he wasn't just on his, you know, sometimes you see these pictures and you see this man on his own riding a, a chariot, 
you know. No, the guy was the finance minister. He had a lot of money on him. So what do you think it would look like? It was a huge caravan. It was a, a very important man. And so when Philip saw that, he might have thought, well, I don't know why I'm here, but hey, that's my league. And the spirit said, go and overtake that chariot. And as he went, something happened. Fifth point. Effective soul winning begins where people are at. Begins with where people are at. What am I saying? When Philip approached the chariot, he heard the man reading something. He heard him reading something. And he asked the man a question. Do you understand what you are reading? You see, many people are hungry for the truth. People want the truth, you know. As we went out yesterday, over and over again, I heard people say something like, um, make inferences to the truth. People want the truth. The, the thing is, they're not convinced we've got the truth. And the reason they're not convinced is because of how we've been living our lives. If we live like our lives like devils and talk like angels, we're just hypocrites. Are you still here? I know it's Easter. What, you want me to say something that makes you happy and smile? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you out of your comfort zone so that you can be radical for the Lord. Say to your neighbor, he's talking to you. Many people are hungry for the truth, but have the wrong understanding about what they are learning about Jesus. When you talk to people, some people say he's a prophet. He's a great prophet. Other people will say he is just the son of Mary. Other people will say he was a good man. Other people may even say he is the son of God, but their understanding of the implications of it is very limited. So Philip asks him, six point, Philip's question allowed the Ethiopian to identify his spiritual anger. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man recognized that he didn't understand what he was reading. Now, this is a very important lesson. If you are going to win people to Jesus, they need to see their need to understand. If they think they're already where they are, they're already okay, and then you try and give them the full-blown gospel, it's just going to bounce off them. It does not mean we ignore people. But we have to be wise as serpents, that's what the Lord said, and harmless like doves when it comes to soul winning. There's a guy called uh, Ray something. You know the guy, the way of the master. Ray Comfort, that's right. And I really like how he does soul winning because he goes to the atheists, he goes to everybody, and, then, and he like, especially loves talking to the atheists. And you ask them questions, do you believe in God? They'll say, nope, don't believe in God. And then you start talking to them. And as he talks to them, many times, you see, as he talks to them, out of the wisdom of God, you see from a person where many times they are a bit ambivalent about the truth or they don't even believe in God, they come to a place where you can see the Spirit of God is convicting them as he opens their heart to see their need. If you do not see your need for salvation, you're not going to respond. You might be here today and you came because some sincere person invited you to church. We thank God you're with us. But you know something, you can come to church and have a great time in church, excuse me to say this, die and go to hell. You can be a church member and die and go to hell. Until you see your need for God, your need for salvation, you are not going to be hungry enough to ask God to save your soul.
The first beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means this. Those who recognize their absolute spiritual hunger, sorry, absolute spiritual poverty and need are really to be envied because what results in their life is they receive God's kingdom. It's the first beatitude, the first blessing that Jesus gives in his kingdom. For you and I to understand the purpose of why Jesus came, we must first recognize our need for Jesus. Until a person recognizes the need for the gospel, they will not be willing to surrender their heart to Jesus. So when they recognize their need for the gospel, they will be willing to give you and I an invitation to share it with them. Notice what this Ethiopian said in verse 31. In fact, he says, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Seventh point, everybody on this earth, whether they realize it or not, whether they have a Bible or not, whether they're watching movies or in church, is learning something about Jesus through their life experiences or through another source. Why? Because Jesus is the sum total of reality. He's the sum total of reality. He came to bear witness of the truth, as we're going to learn later on. And God has a way. The scripture says God devises ways and means so that his banished ones are not far from him. God has a way of reaching every single human being. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. But he has a way of reaching each one of us at a point where he confronts us with his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know how he does it, but I sincerely believe he does. But whether we are willing to accept him or not, that's the question. So everybody's learning something about Jesus, but not everybody will acknowledge that it's Jesus they're learning about. So look at verses 32 to 33. He says, the place where he was reading, which, the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his share is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Do you know that, as far as I'm aware, some Jews believe that this, these chapters in Isaiah 53 actually refers to the Jewish nation, you see. They believe it refers to the Jewish nation. It doesn't refer to the Messiah per se. So, you can read this and have all kinds of interpretations to it. You can read it and say, oh, it refers to a good man. You can read it and say it refers to our nation. You can read it and say, oh, it refers to black people. I met a bit of that yesterday as well. <laughs> or you can read it and understand what it's really talking about. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Seven point. Sorry, I've given you seven points, isn't it? Eight point. We must learn to respond to the immediate issue on people's hearts when we are talking to them. So, when Philip heard what this man was reading, he didn't straight away jump and start to talk about Jesus. He asked the man a question, and by asking the man a question, the man then asked him a question. What is this talking about? 
You see, when you're sharing your faith with people, sometimes they will ask you a question. Sometimes it's to catch you out. Sometimes it's because they've, all, they've been thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And they think, ha, here's an opportunity. And they ask you that question. Now, the question itself is not, it's not really an answer they're looking for. For instance, yesterday we were talking, Andrew and I were talking to a, a gentleman, very educated man. We gave him a, a tract, and his first reaction, he actually just insulted, insulted, not us, but insulted the whole thing about even the tract. said, you know, in fact, we gave it to his children, and he told his children, give it back, because you know you're not going anywhere. And then he started, Titus was there as well, he started to talk, well, they were, he was talking with his friend. So this man wasn't prepared to take a tract. And he was very intelligent. So as we began to talk, anything I tried to say to him, he just bounced it off like a tennis ball with power. Pow! 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 So now I'm talking to him. I'm thinking, Lord, okay, how do we do this? So we're talking, 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 and then I got it. So as he was talking, out of his own arguments, I began to speak back to him. And as I began to speak back to him out of his own arguments, then you began to see the walls crumble. Here's the point. In the end, the man gave me his phone number and asked me to come and visit him and took my leaflet that he wouldn't take. Now, does not mean he's going to get born again and come in church and roll the floor and say, hallelujah. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and dealing with people where they are at is key to beginning to open their heart so that they have an opportunity to hear the gospel. That's all I'm saying. Everybody must has an issue on their heart, and we must learn to respond to that issue immediately, what they present to us, but ask the Holy Spirit for that wisdom. And number nine, Philip shared Jesus from where the eunuch was learning. In other words, at that point where he was is where he began to talk to him about Jesus. So what am I saying? Sometimes you will talk to somebody and they will say something like, look, I don't believe in this God business. I don't believe in God at all. Me, I'm a, I'm a scientist. I believe in evolution. And, you know, I believe evolution is the way. So you don't poo-poo the idea because they're an intelligent person who's chosen to believe that the whole universe existed with an infinite mass of uh, something that was the size of a pin. And it exploded in itself, and then that's how everything happened. They are very intelligent, and they've chosen to believe that. That's the Big Bang Theory. Something the size of a pin, smaller than a pin, with infinite mass compressed in itself, and then in that compression, it exploded. And out of that explosion, this is how everything happened. The other, the other Big Bang Theory is that in the beginning, God said, light be, and the bang came out of God. Pin drop, infinite mass, Inorganic matter. That's, it was inorganic matter. In other words, there was no life in it. Infinite mass, no life in it. It's, it's so heavy, you can't weigh it. But it was the size of a pin. The gravitational pull on it was so strong in itself that eventually it couldn't take the pressure anymore. It exploded. And out of inorganic matter, infinite mass, you are standing today. That's one theory of how you are on the earth. Another one says, God, who has no beginning and end, who is also without, uh, he's also infinite in intelligence, in the beginning, he said, light be. 
And out of him, light came. Oh, by the way, recently scientists discovered that the smallest element possible, particle possible, is a light, light particle. That the building blocks of the universe is made out of light particles. Hmm. Let's, let's just carry on. So, these are guidelines from these verses of scripture that show us how we share Jesus with people. Now, when you're talking to people about Jesus, you need to be able to share why he came. I'm going to give you 10 reasons quickly why the Lord came and why it's important for you to appreciate why the Lord came. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus, these 10 reasons are something you should bear in mind. The first is this. Jesus came to testify of the truth. What does that mean? That word testify simply means to reveal or to bear witness of something. In John 18, verse 37, as the Lord stood before Pontius Pilate, Pilate said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should be a witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, either the Lord was insane when he said this, or he was a liar misrepresenting the truth, or he was saying the truth. First of all, he makes a statement. He says, I came into this world to show people what the truth is. Yesterday, somebody said to me, as far as they're concerned, truth is facts, information, and something else. Facts and information. But actually, truth is far more than facts and information. Truth is reality. Truth is reality. Reality from God's perspective. The way things really are. And Jesus came to bear witness of the truth. And then he says this. Everyone who hears the truth or everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In other words, anyone looking for reality, the true reality of life, will listen to what I have to say. Second reason why Jesus came. To reveal the name of the Father or to reveal what the Father is really like. God the Father, what he's really like. In John chapter 17 verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Beloved, as you listen to me, I want you to know you're not your own. God made you. God created you. And you may think you're your own, but God created you. And let me tell you something wonderful. God ordained that you will belong to Jesus, but you must decide to belong to Jesus. Jesus came to show us what the Father was like. Because people have all kinds of concepts about God the Father. And when you want, if you really want to know what God the Father is like, read the Gospels and you see the Son of God revealing what God the Father was like. Third point, why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 says this. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What does that mean? It means to dissolve or undo or loose something that Satan has had influence in. 
So any area in life where the enemy's hand has, or the enemy has his signature in, Jesus came to undo what Satan has done. Fourth point why Jesus came, to call sinners to repentance. To call sinners to repentance. When you hear the word sinner, what do you think of? Some very bad, wicked person. Okay, let me ask. How many of you believe you're sinners? Okay, you do. I see born-again people raising their hands that they are sinners. Well, if you are a sinner, as a born-again believer, you need to repent. You should have, you should have stopped being a sinner after you got born again. You might be a righteous person struggling with sin, but you are either a sinner or a saint. It's just that we think Saint means sinless perfection in our own rights. And sinner means great wicked person who, who's very evil and will definitely burn in the hottest fires of hell. A saint simply is a holy one, someone who's made holy because of the blood of Jesus. And a sinner is simply somebody who does what they want regardless of what God's word says. So if you do whatever you please to do, irrespective of what God's word says as your lifestyle, then you are indeed a sinner. But here's the point. In this context, the Lord says in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, he says, when he heard it, he said to them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He, called, he came to call sinners to repentance. That was to encourage anyone doing their own thing to reconsider and change their attitude so that they can do what God wants. To change their attitude and change the direction of their life and do what God wants. That's what it means to repent. To repent means you change your way of thinking and the direction of your life towards what God and his word says. And that's what Jesus came to do. Now, we were all sinners. Because the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when I was a sinner, there was a day in my life that I asked God to save my soul. I asked him to save me. I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I asked Jesus to rule my life to dictate the course of my life. And from that day, I was supernaturally transformed from a sinner to a saint because of the grace of God. Why did Jesus come? Leading on from that point, to save sinners. To save sinners. So he came to ask us to change our way of thinking and direction of our lives. And in the process of it, he also came to save us. What does that mean? It means to deliver us from the destined path of eternal torment and destruction. To deliver us from the path that was destined for us, eternal torment and destruction. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. An extraordinary statement Paul makes. Paul recognized he was the chief of sinners in this sense. That outside of the grace of God, with everything that he has received, he will still be the chief of sinners. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom you and I are chief. We are chief, but yet he turns us from sinners to saints. Beloved, it's good news. It's good news. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, you can be in church and still be lost. You can be in church and be lost. You can be in church and even be in the choir, that great choir, that awesome choir. The glory of the Lord rise among us. Ah, brilliant. You know, I used to be in a choir. The glory of the Lord. That's how you say it. Rise among us. That was great. Okay. <clears throat> Andrea, I'm auditioning. Where are you? <laughs> you could be in the choir, sing the songs, and still end up in the lake. Yeah. If you don't repent from your sins. Why did Jesus come? To put away sin. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 he says, he then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That word put away sin means, you see yesterday, I really had interesting conversations yesterday. Yesterday somebody said to me, if Jesus has come to put away sin, why is there still sin? Good question. The only problem is what, how you understand that word put away. Jesus came to not say, excuse me, say remove this, your sin per se that you are enjoying. No, you want to enjoy your sin, it's there. But that word put away means to cancel, to cancel the effects of sin. So for anybody who is willing to accept what Jesus has done, Jesus has canceled the effects of sin, the righteous effects of sin. For the wages of sin is death, according to the scriptures, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Quickly, number seven. Why did Jesus come? To demonstrate God's love towards us. To demonstrate God's love towards us. First John 4 verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The way God loved us wasn't by giving us nice houses and cars. Wasn't by giving us breakthroughs upon breakthroughs. It was by allowing Jesus to take the punishment for our sins that we deserve. Because he loves us so much. Beloved, on this Easter Sunday, I tell you God loves you. God loves you so much that he does not want you to have the consequences of your sin. He doesn't want you to have the consequences of your sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we're preaching today. So that you can experience the love of God. And finally, Jesus came to give everlasting life to those who believe in him. To give everlasting life to those who believe in him. Everlasting life is not living forever and ever. Because everybody who dies lives forever. You will either live forever in heaven with, well, you either live forever with God or you live forever without God in the lake of fire. You either live forever in bliss in the presence of God or you live forever 
outside the presence of God in great torment and pain forever. Everlasting life refers to the life of bliss and vitality that God possesses that he gives to his own. They have it forever and ever. In other words, as a child of God, beloved, this is the worst it will ever get for you in this life, in your existence. Anything that happens in you, in your existence, in this life, is the worst that will ever happen. Whether it's good or bad, because after this life, everything else that will happen to you is only everlasting life. But if you, if you don't have God, then everything that happens to you in this life is the best you've got. Good or bad. It's a very bad thing to, to be born into this world poor, miserable, hungry, and then die without Jesus. You might as well have been fat and enjoyed yourself. I'm not, I'm, I'm a bit, you know, so don't start saying, he said the word, you know. You might as well, you might as well, you know, enjoy your food like me and uh, really just have fun and then die and go to hell. Then have a horrible life here and then die and go to hell. What a terrible tragedy. It was bad here and it's bad there. It's worse there. For the child of God, this is the worst he will ever get. But for those who do not know Jesus, this is the best he will ever get. You know, sometimes people are suffering and they're dying and we say, you know what, let's just take them out of their misery. You have no idea. If they don't know the Lord, you're not taking them out of their misery. You're now adding more misery to them that you have no idea of. It's sad. It's not a joke. It's sad. At the same time, we don't believe in euthanasia. So let's quickly conclude this with this. I have shared these eight points simply to emphasize this point. Jesus came for a reason. He came for you and he came for me. This Easter, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, you have the opportunity to also enter into God's purpose, why he sent his son. Let's bow our heads, we're going to pray.